0: Welcome to My American Vida. I'm your host, Leisa Carrillo, and this is my podcast where I will share the story of my life growing up in Cuba and how I came to live here in America. I will share my journey to becoming an entrepreneur with the people who have helped and inspired me along the way. Turn in once a month to enter into my world, to grow personally and professionally. My mission for you to know is don't wait for someone to tell you you are good enough because you know what? You already are. everybody, this is Leisa Carrillo, your host of My American Vida. Welcome back to another episode. I can't wait for you to listen to what I want to share today. I just want to talk about how I got open my eyes and my heart for learning. One of the greatest moments is when I get to experience a aha or a wow moment, even on myself or on the eyes of others. Because going into this new independent charter of my life, everything was new. Let me tell you, I knew it wasn't a coincidence that I got picked to do this show. I don't believe in luck. I think luck is just only the preparation for you to meet that specific moment or time of your life. I will never be moving life farther unless I'm experiencing with that specific person or place or moment. When I when I refer myself to be in the moment, it's when you can either learn from the situation, either it's good or bad. If you're always learning, you will always be growing. Guys, I found myself being in this show, got to travel to my first country ever. I remember just holding that passport and looking at it with my picture in it at the age of 18. And I was just like expanding and opening and stretching my wings. I was like, this is it, Lisa. You are making it. You're going to be able to succeed in life. So, guys, the first country we got a contract was Japan. Wow. Literally. I came from the third world country and I land on one of the most successful, amazing, clean technology everywhere. I was just like, what a minute. Uh, what? Remember, growing up in Cuba, guys, you have two TV channels. Back then, I didn't own a phone. It wasn't even internet allowed in the whole country. It wasn't even legal to have it. Nobody could watch more than two channels. One was a sports and the other one was news and telenovelas and things like that. So you're really naive when you leave Cuba. You're basically naked to the world. You get to those places and you're like, what the heck is going on? If this is the real world, if this is the real way of living, this is how much food and things to do. You like literally like you cannot comprehend that. So that was Lisa. We got into the plane and it was a lot of hours, guys, from Cuba to Japan. So we stopped in Europe. I remember that I have this best steak and French fries at the airport. We slept in Spain, I think maybe overnight, and we took the second flight that took us to Japan when we got to Japan, we were on the middle of Tokyo. we were in a five star hotel. I was making a hundred dollars per show. Remember in Cuba, I was making five to ten dollars a month, so literally it was like a date and nine kind of situation, like in my life got upside down. Overnight, and I couldn't handle it. (laughs) I remember walking on the street of Tokyo, and I could feel the energy coming underneath my feet. It was lifting me out of the ground. Like, are you ready to fly? This is it. I remember that we got to this Electronic World big mall. There was maybe 10, 15 minutes walk from the hotel. And I remember the sidewalk was like electronic. Every single electronics that you can ever imagine was there. Looking at this, I was a person that have never had a phone or internet. Listen it in Cuba, but then having internet was illegal. Didn't even exist unless you were going to a private hotel. Nobody has cell phones, just maybe a couple people. And we got stuck with two TV channels. That's it. There's one channel that is sports and the other one might be news and novellas and whatever they want you to watch. Getting to Japan and turning on the TV and being like so much to watch. At what time you want to watch what? It was just like that. It was a becoming to realize how many options were for me outside Cuba. I remember <laughs> another day we were walking and I thought sushi was decoration because over there you can see it on the restaurant's windows. The way they decorate the windows with the sushi was so beautiful. They we built castles, boats, like beautiful things, exactly like you see here in restaurants. But for me, it was something extremely new. Like we have never saw any kind of restaurant like that in Cuba. And I remember that I never tried. I remember the show director had to hire this chef that would cook for us because no one was open to even comprehend that they can eat raw fish. We were kids. So I remember I went to Japan on 1990-something, and I ate rice and beans, chicken, and fish that was cooked. And I just want to kill myself now. Like, what the heck? I loved sushi, even my mom. And look at me, I went to one of the biggest countries where you can try that and I didn't have the culture or the knowledge to understand what it was. And I remember we did such a good show. It was insane. I remember the culture. I remember how aware we were for every movement that we were doing. It was just like... Guys, this is it. This is really different. I remember as walking on middle of Tokyo or even inside of that five-star hotel in booty shorts, guys. <laughs> booty shorts, tin top. It was summer. Summer for Cubans means Caribbean. I mean, Caribbeans means like summer, sun, shorts, tight, sandals. And I remember walking into... Elevator, and I could get in. We would be loud and moving fast, moving the hips and all of that. And I remember the Japanese dressing up so nice, and they would look at us, and they would literally lock themselves on the very corner of the elevator, like, oh my god, who are these people? And to me, it was like definitely one of the biggest culture shock that I have ever experienced. Not to mention the one when I moved here to America. We did the shows. We spent in Tokyo maybe three weeks, and we went to Osaka or another small city and We did another two weeks and after that, we went to Australia Australia guys was beautiful was one of the biggest experiences I have ever had in my life. Mm. To be honest, before I decided that I want to move to America, that was the number one country that I want to move to. It was so colorful. The flowers, the fauna, the animals everywhere. I mean, I was in love with that place. So that place, I got to experience a little more liberty. I got to meet more Latin people that were living there, I speak Spanish, ask questions get to go to stores, analyze things, try restaurants from other culture. Like I literally got to like soften up myself a little bit. God I was like, Japan wasn't enough. It wasn't, I mean, I, I could have done better, but <laughs> it was too late. I was, it was gone. So I was in Australia. I don't want that to happen to me. So I would remember walking into the hotel lobby and I would always get a map I did that forever in every single country I went. I would open the map and I would circle in the map, museums, places that I want to go. Then I would ask for the closest train station and I would literally like figure it out with a translator or a person at the hotel where I was supposed to go. Literally no phones or anything. I would go to places based on the map. And the stories can go on and on, guys. It was just so much fun to get to go to so many different countries at that age before I moved to America. I mean, I remember one day we were lost. We literally were asking a taxi to drop us off at the theater where we were supposed to dance. And that was literally on the other side of the block. So I remember we're in the middle of the street, we bought so much clothes and stuff, and we look at the clock, oh my gosh, we have to run. The show uh, rehearsal starts in 30 minutes, and we literally were around the corner from the theater. When we asked the taxi, literally, this is asking, we're not even knowing the language, just like mimics face expressions, we need to get there, pointing on a map, here, here, take us there. And no one taxi wanted to take us. They were like, no, no. And they were explaining to us why no, but we couldn't understand <laughs> until we desperately walked and asked somebody that was walking on the street and they totally told us, no, it's around the corner. That's it. It's just right there. So those are the little things that happened to us just for not knowing what else to do on those big countries coming from that third world, third world country that we were at oh, growing up. Guys, literally, I ended up traveling to 17 different countries before we got to come to America. I would go back and forward three, six months here, four months there. I went to every place in Europe, Germany friends, Italy, Spain million times, Romania. Like we were everywhere. And I started experiencing a lot of different cultures, a lot of different things. So we come back and tell my parents and my brother, oh my God, you cannot believe it. People thought that I was crazy when we started telling stories. So it was a point that I stopped telling them what i seen because it was just so out of I don't even know how to say it was just so out of uh, proportion that they were like, what do you mean? And yes, and I got in this underground train or I got into this car. They had this and they just couldn't believe it. I remember we used to hang out with this DJ in Australia, all of us, with like six of us. Uh, We performed with him like after Patty and we got to his car one day. And when we saw that Navigator, I would never forget this. And Navigator back then was a big thing. He has a really nice car. I just couldn't believe it that he just could touch and open the doors, close the doors, like windows up, windows down. Guys in Cuba. <laughs> cars are from 1930s, 40s, and 60. They old. Literally, they old cars. My dad's car was from 70 eight it was a fiat Argentinian fiat so <laughs> I'm talking about it was everything was a lot but to be honest there is no regrets I think it was so good to be able to experience at that early age this and bring back to my community we start one more time going back to rehearsing and um, the routine of preparing the show for the next move. I could hear her, the director, talking about United States, but United States, it was a different, impossible place to go. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the political problems uh, between Cuba and United States. But there was from so many, so many, so many decades we've been through this. She, but them, used to love bringing the show to Las Vegas. She knew there would be so much opportunity. Like a show director, she wants more. She wants better. I remember we did a movie in Cuba. We did a DVD. There was just the music. And um, the lyrics and I mean, it's just we did so many projects that she was selling as all over the globe. But I knew that she wants to make it to America. We all knew, but we didn't know how that was supposed to happen. So in the period of two years, like I say, I traveled to 17 different countries and we ended up coming back to America and re readjust the show for more English-speaking, for more cultural revelation of what was Cuban history. Everything got changed for the American market. I remember we got a new choreographer. She did auditions. She hired new people. The music of the show got changed. Everything was just changed for a better. We were looking up to something better we knew how much ambitions she had behind the show. And we started working hard. So working hard for three, four, five, six months, i say. And on six months, she say somebody important from the United States is going to come to see the show and hopefully they can help us to get to America. We were like, uh, okay, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> I was just so, so happy. But then when all the decisions were made and those individuals, I'm gonna share a little more about who they were, came, we were like, this is gonna happen. This is real, and we're gonna leave Cuba forever. Because we knew that as soon as we would say the trip was to the United States. Cuban wouldn't allow us to continue to do our thing. Sure enough, these two artists came to Cuba. We present the show to them and they fall in love with the show. Like, so in love with the show. And they say, we're going to take you guys to America. We are talking about Sifri and Roy. These two are legends here in town. They have this amazing, unique show full of emotions. It was so good. They bring tigers into the show, into the magic tricks. They were here forever. They knew what to bring to Vegas. But a little after, I would say around three weeks, wasn't more than that, Roy got beaten. By a tiger during the show. That was all over the news. That went so far. That even us got it on the news in Cuba. I remember us looking at the show like, did you hear what happened? But nobody could make a comment or say anything. We thought that we would to make it after that. But these two guys kept the promise. They brought us to America. And they had us perform in one of the biggest casinos in town. Havana night got to a Stardust Casino in Las Vegas. I literally have these two guys close, 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 very close in my heart. I remember my first Christmas celebration ever. They did this huge Christmas tree. At their house, I mean, they have basically like a mansion. It was beautiful. And every single of us have a gift underneath that tree. We were crying. We were missing our family back then, but they made us feel so welcome. I don't know if you understand this, but in Cuba, there is some religion that are not legal to practice. We didn't grow up with Christmas celebration or any other holidays. They just don't allow us to celebrate that. So, this was the first time I felt Christmas. It was so nice. They were so good to us, but short after everything got settled, he got better. He left the hospital, the contra got to finalize, and we got our business signed. We couldn't leave all at once we a small group of, of five, six, some group of seven. We were leaving Cuba little by little. I remember just only have a backpack. <laughs> we have book, some dance clothes and some family pictures. And I guess it, pretty much that's how everybody left. We couldn't tell our family they were coming. Everything was a secret. But we got to get those visas, and we were so humble for the opportunity. We couldn't wait to bring to Vegas that flavor, that Latin rhythms, to just dance and perform and just be who we were. We were performers. We were artists. We just want to be artists. We don't care about the politicos. We don't care about that. We just want to be here. And shortly after we all got here, and I remember it was one of the first couple of shows was half of that half of us all the preparations we had to readjust the show, rearrange the choreographers and stuff like that because we were half of the team, but that night. Oh my gosh, I can still see it. When I felt this applause and that acceptance from the audience, it was a, a gift. It was a dream come true. I finally made it. And here's basically part of the beginning of an amazing journey. Thank you so much for stopping by and listen to my podcast today. This was my American Vida, and I can wait for you to connect again on the next episode. I'm planning to bring along one of my biggest inspiration, and we're both going to share how we got to Las Vegas. All the experience, all the behind the scenes. See you on the next one.